Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sarge. Oh, he's disabled. I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore. G'day and welcome to The Curve, the podcast that's all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. My name is Andrew Pearce, and this podcast is proudly recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region, and I pay respects to their elders both past, present, and emerging. On this particular episode, it is the second half of the Q&A discussion that I was part of with Cinema Australia's Matthew Eels and the internet's Travis Johnson, where you can find him at flicks.com.au, SBS, and The Curb, alongside many other places, and Celluloid and Whiskey. Uh, Look, I won't beat around the bush on this one. There there is a a lot more discussion to be had, so we're just going to jump right into it, and I'll give all the pleasantries at the end. Stay safe. I just joined in in the bomb that I think we were talking about diversity, right? Is that- hey, Sarah, yeah. first of all. So, so, look at, so look at this, look at this, right? You, so, you know, everybody's at the top of the game, you know, incredible skill, experience and knowledge. You're all white dudes, aren't you? <laughs> this is true. Sorry, Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, Sarah, tell us oh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so um, Sarah Thomas, I was an entertainment writer at the Herald for number of years and now I work for the ABC um I don't do um uh film or culture that that much anymore it's also coronavirus kill me um (laughs) but yeah still obviously super engaged and um I still think that one of the most brilliant tv series in recent years is Shits Creek so shoot me down (laughs) (laughs) But, but but this is this is my point though um um, you know, like looking at this, like so, Australian film reviewers, you're all white dudes, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, this is a thing, and um, I remember at the Herald, like, um, you know, it's the kind of entertainment cultural side of stuff, always very dude heavy. And I remember one of the remain unnamed, um, one of the music reviewers said to me one time, I don't understand why there's not more music reviewers. And I said, well, music reviewing is a bit of a boys club. It's the thing. And he said, well, actually, I disagree. And I was just like, well, you've just asked for my opinion. And I just gave it, you know. Mm. So, um, 
anyway, but look, that's that's a whole different thing. Well, but, um, I, th I think it's actually a good point. Sorry to interrupt you there, Sarah. Um, yeah, no. I, I think it's a good point, and I'm going to lead into the next question, which comes from Simone, who is somebody who writes for The Curb. Uh, she is uh, studying to, she is studying journalism and um, communications. And her question is, what practical and personal advice would you give to aspiring writers and critics? And I, you know, one of the main things which I found myself is that I started The Curb out of nothing. Uh, I, I don't get paid to do what I do. Um, and yet I work hard to make it a website that is available for people to write for. I, I um, would love to be able to pay my writers. I really would. Um, but unfortunately, the state of criticism in Australia at the moment, uh, both for film, arts, uh, music, it doesn't matter, is non-existent. There is no money in it because there's also no money for the arts as well, uh, as we know. Um, it's already uh, starting to be radically dwindling. Um, so the difficulty is nowadays is that we have a problem where criticism isn't valued in the way that it once was before. And you don't have full-time critics. You don't have, the, I think there is maybe a handful of full-time critics in Australia across the board, um, arts, film, uh, music, all that kind of stuff. And yes, it is predominantly white men. And this is a huge issue. It's a huge, huge issue because you know what? To be frankly honest, I am sick and tired of hearing from white men. And I'm a white man myself. Like, I know what I have to say about something. I want to hear what somebody else has to say about it. And that's, that's the difficulty, is that as we, as we struggle with trying to present marginalised voices in criticism, uh, women, um, people of colour, queer people, all of this kind of stuff, we also want to be able to pay them for their, their voices. And there is a definite need to be paid for what you write. Cannot stress that enough. You should be paid for what you write. But the reality of the situation in Australia is that it is not entirely possible to have a sustainable living career writing and being uh, a vocal person and all this kind of stuff. And so what I did was I just started off with the, the, the you know, off my own back. And I guess the, the state of um, uh, digital life nowadays is that it's just as easy to start a website or a podcast or a newsletter or a something. Zoom discussion. Yeah, a Zoom discussion or, you know, have a Twitter thread or something like that to be successful that, that way. And I think that's, unfortunately, it doesn't mean you're going to be rolling in money, but certainly uh, breaking down the barriers of uh, being a vocal person in, in uh, for different groups, Indigenous writers, um, queer people and stuff like that, uh, you know, it's, it, they've got to, I'm not trying to tell them what to do, but essentially stepping out and pushing for their own voice is really important. And yeah, I don't know. I just think I see that there is a problem and, and that's why certainly from my side, at least I have pushed to try and have as many diverse writers on there as possible. Uh, and it's hard. It's really hard um, because you want to make sure that these people are talking and know what they're being able to share and have an opinion and stuff like that. And it's, it's hard to break that down. Um, and as for suggestions on how to do it, just start it up. Mm. I know that sounds like the most reductive thing possible, but Matt, you started Cinema Australia just because, you know. Uh, yeah. And I want to just uh, say what something that we were talking about earlier as well is about having a day job as well. 
make sure you've got a day job being paid to uh, to be able to do this kind of thing, because uh, without a day job, I wouldn't be able to do Cinema Australia at all. Um, yeah, I'm 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 thankful every day that I've got a day job to be able to um, support Cinema Australia. I'm thankful Andrew, you have a day job because it means occasionally you can afford to pay me. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Um, but I don't earn a I don't earn a cent through Cinema Australia. But I, I don't earn anything at all. I just do this because of my passion and my love for um, Australian cinema. So you know, I, I really hope that there's more people out there, um, you know, Indigenous, female, uh, whatever, who who you know follows us and does the same kind of thing. And, and another thing with uh, Travis and Andrew and and myself is that we don't look at anyone who's doing the same thing as what we're doing as a competition. We look at it, we oh, look no. at everyone else who's doing it as being a part of the same team. Um, you know, so if anyone is thinking of uh, doing something similar to what we're doing, we're always here to, uh, to help you out and support you and offer advice and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And, th and that's the thing is certainly our, our contact um, details are out there. We're all available. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, email and stuff like that. We're more than happy to help out as much as we can. Uh, and certainly, you know, again, it comes back to finance. I, I would love to find a rich old man who is about to die and just be <laughs> like, you, my dear friend, are going to help me fund uh, the future of criticism in Australia. Um, but alas, uh, I'm not their type. Um, and, you know, I think, I think this is the, the real issue uh, going forward and I don't know how to address it other than to build up a community and build up a website and try and make it um, financially successful via advertising or Patreon and stuff like that. Um, sorry, Sarah, as well, I had muted you, but I'm going to unmute you just to see if, uh, do you, if you have anything extra to add uh, to what we've just been saying as well. Yeah. Um, Sorry so, to have muted you. It's just while we've got the three discussions going on, it's easier to just keep a control of everybody else. Yeah, no, that's fine. Hang on. Let me just, oh, the volume is a bit weird on this. Hang on one sec. Um, yeah. Um, um, after I finished up at the Herald and I, I felt like um, at early 40s, I was in early retirement and it was a joyous period. And um, one of my favourite um, labours of love was um, there's, there's a report called um, Shelley Lee who works for um, Sky and um, we started up a, a film website called The Fierce which you know to be honest like I, I'm not a huge fan of that name because I hate that kind of thing when you talk about women it's like yeah Fierce. What was it called sorry? What was that the, called? The Fierce. It's still it's still live, so you can go and check it out. And we had like um we had such a great response um from people in the industry, women. So we interviewed like female directors, um, producers, um, opinion pieces about things that were going on or whatever. However, as you just you know correctly said, we both had like sort of day jobs. So it was stuff that was done in, in our sort of um, you know, sort of free time and it was just but it was a joy it was great but you know you, you reach you run out of steam on these things you know because you know you've got you, your whole life just keeps going on anyway um um but it was um you know it was a good sight and we had a really great response it, you know particularly out of that initial kind of like me too surge or whatever which i kind of hate because it, it kind of compartmentalizes what should be normal um um but yeah just uh you know i i would love access to more of that 
kind of stuff you know sort of doing it normally and like I said we had a really great response and it was great to have this like you know voice that was female centric um but I don't know what can you do like you know we've like I said we've all got bills to pay and yeah. um you know there's only so much time where you just kind of go well actually I can't really do that story for you today because I have to earn some money <laughs> you know and, and um, that's the thing yeah sorry to interrupt you but that, no, that no. is that that is the thing it's it is a uh balancing what is going to be beneficial to you yourself and what you can afford to give the time to and for me I dedicate a lot of time to interviewing filmmakers Australian filmmakers writing about Australian film and stuff like that and I think that that is certainly I know what I am able to push out in a week and what I'm mm. able to do in a week. And I know what I'm able to try and lift up and support as much as possible. And certainly through the curb, one of the main reasons I set up the website is to help at least if, if I can't help push uh, marginalized voices in uh, the critical sphere, then at least I can uh, lift up and push the voices on screen. And yeah. so I do interview a lot of women. I do interview a lot mm. of uh, queer filmmakers and a lot of indigenous filmmakers as well. But I want to stress as well, like Australia does have a lot of, in the film criticism sphere, at least, we have a lot of great women writers. Debbie Zhu, mm. for example, she uh, is doing great guns. I highly recommend checking out her work. She writes some of the best material I've ever read. And she is currently doing a fantastic job of traipsing around the world and and attending all these great international um, festivals. And certainly uh, she was, she had made her, her name by going to the, uh, the MIF, Melbourne International Film Festivals, um, the critic group that they have, that they run every year, wow, uh, which is cool. a really fantastic thing. And she managed to continue her success from there. And then you have um, uh, Alexand Alessandra Nicholas Heller. I can't remember if I'm, pronouncing her name properly but she is one of the finest writers in Australia and I highly recommend checking out her work as well and then Ella Donald as well I don't know if she's written so much this year but she also does fantastic work that I like to check out as well um there are a lot of great writers out there and I think Sarah comes... Ward uh, Sarah Ward who writes Sarah Ward, of course, daily yeah. I really enjoy her her reviews yeah um she's she's fantastic as well and I think this is the thing is that just like great small films and independent films there are voices out there, but we have to look for them. You have to look for them and try and elevate them as much as possible when you do find them. Because again, like I read a lot of criticism. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I watch a lot of YouTube stuff. And, and I like to think that I'm well tapped into this, uh, this field. And uh, I, I know how hard it is to find these kinds of voices. It's, it's not easy, but I also like to be able to seek them out and lift them up as much as you can. It's hard. Mm. It's really hard, yeah. but it's important. Yeah. What, the, like uh, one of the most um, uh, kind of uh, affecting experiences for me this year was when I went to a film screening. Oh, remember those? Remember those <laughs> cinemas when you could go in them and stuff? Um, so um, The Invisible Man, right? So I was so expecting, you know, a very well done horror, but it turned out to be this like most amazing affecting um relatable understandable story about sort of domestic violence and stuff and just reading all the stuff afterwards the majority of it just did 
you know, completely missed the point, you know, and you've got this whole audience. Now, I don't know what the, the stats are but, uh, exactly, but I do know that, um, you know, uh, that, uh, that, uh, film companies are actually tapping into the fact that there is a larger female audience um, than male, possibly, in some respects, it, you know, the mainstream cinemas and stuff like that. And you've got this amazing movie that had, uh, uh, that just really just, you know, sort of really uh, portrayed this subject in such a clever way. And, and it should have been such a massive discussion point and an absolute celebration of the genius of this Australian filmmaker. Mm. And I felt that that was just completely lost. It, would just, mm. it just didn't appear, you know? I don't know. I think you might be hanging out in the, the wrong corners of the internet because in, in, in the horror community, where I hang my hat, like that's what we've been talking about. Like Lee Winnell's a fucking genius. This is a great parable for for domestic violence mm. and and women not being believed and like yeah, mm. like that, that's been like the major talking points about the right, film. But, yeah, but, but yeah. it's just, but that's you know straw poll. You know, it's just what I've seen. Um, yeah, no, but but also like you know. Um, the people that you're talking about in that community, you know, would not possibly be like, you know, the perpetrators or people that might be connected directly. Mm. I don't know, that's a bit cool, but um, yeah, I think, I think I you know. are tapping onto something there though. Mm. And there's certainly something that is an issue with uh, film as a whole, because I think for the criticism to be reflected properly off movies, there needs to be a grander representation on screen as well. There needs to be more queer voices, Indigenous actors and mm. uh, people of colour and, and things like that. And more stories directed by women and written by women and focused on women's stories. They don't have to be focused purely on women's stories like the, the films directed by women, but that does help to have that voice. Mm. And from my perspective, at least, is that the more that that happens on screen, Hopefully, the more it should happen off screen in criticism circles. And I've noticed it a lot in America. There is a real push in America for uh, widespread representation in the media of people talking about uh, film and stuff like that. There is mm. a lot of uh, uh, black women writing about movies. Uh, and, and certainly, I mean, <laughs> look at one of the, the major people who made a huge change uh, thanks to uh, the, the hashtag Oscar so white and she was just a humble critic to start off with April uh, mm. April I uh, can't remember her surname at this moment but nonetheless her first name is April and April rain I think her name is and she started off a hashtag that just said you know Oscar yeah. so white and look at the change that's occurred there and that in America we look there and there's a lot of uh, different voices who are talking about film and I, I think that that needs to be reflected in Australia. But again, it comes back to the circular discussion that there needs to be better support for critics, better support for the arts, and better understanding and appreciation of what the arts is as a whole. Mm. Um, better understanding and appreciation uh, from the community at large that it's that threat. There is a genuine threat facing Australian arts at the moment. You know, we yeah. all love Bluey. Uh, Bluey is absolutely fantastic, but I think people yeah. forget that Bluey is an Australian TV show, mm. you know, and, and this is something that is at stake. It's, 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 you know, there's something that could be lost here. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like, and, and um, I, I still have like an outsider's perspective because I'm British and I moved here when I was 30. Um, uh, 14 years ago right and so Britain has a very strong 
cultural life. In fact, that's all we have because basically the weather is too crap to ever go outside of your home. Um, so, you know, all you can do is watch TV and, you know, and even the commercials are amazing. You know, they're just these incredible works of art and Australia is not an artsy culture, you know, it just isn't, you know, and um, so, you, you know, I, I think you're always going to be the underdogs, you know, fighting to have a voice for um, the amazing things that come out of this country culturally, you know, um, because it's just not something that is celebrated. You're speaking about the country which has a major obsession with neighbours. <laughs> which which neighbours as well is going to be one of the the forefront of um of how film and tv is going to be filmed going forward as well i mean are yeah, they returning right. back to filming very soon <laughs> neighbours have already started uh, they've already started filming yeah. um yeah yeah jasper's just put up his hand and i want to let you know guys know as well we don't really have a time limit on this particular discussion but um so I am in no mad rush. Uh, my dogs will start asking me to be fed soon, but nonetheless, um, I'm happy to continue going as, as long as you need to, but maybe How another 20 minutes. How many do we have so. in there, bud? I've got about, uh, about 25 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> so I think another 20 minutes or so would be fantastic. Yeah. Andrew, how many people do we have in the meeting? I can't see. Uh, I've got we about 10 people here at the oh, moment. 10. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So I'm just going to unmute Jasper because you had a question there. Oh, it was, it was actually just a, it was part question, part comment, just on the subject of, you know, like more um, critical voices and um, whatnot, and particularly Sarah's comment about English cultural life. One of the interesting things about the, uh, the time of the Rona was that brief moment for um, a couple of weeks um, where there was almost no sport on the nightly news. Yes, so I we, hear you. <laughs> we, we had a, we had that period when we had that period when they were all talking about whether they were going to close down or how they were going to keep going if they if they wanted to keep going, and then all the codes stopped, and then we had two weeks of you know like twenty five minutes of actual news. It was amazing. <laughs> I don't think that Matt's got enough wine in his bottle left for for that kind of. <laughs> We're an Eagles jersey, but yeah. Exactly. And then, of course, um, in the last week and a half, um, we've had the slow ramping up of the, the, the sport talk again as they start going on and on and on. Now, I'm don't get me wrong, I like a bit of sports ball. Um, I do understand that it is, it is viewed as a major part of, of Australian cultural life and it, and is an element of culture you can't deny that but how would one try and position commentary on the arts to be as in important um, in the same sort of breath as, as sport I mean it's you know, to, I think we should turn to Travis Johnson on this who currently wrote a piece on sport he is the voice of Australian sport as well as Australian <laughs> film uh, he wrote a piece a fantastic piece for Metro and for all I'm talking about um, supporting uh, criticism and stuff like that go and buy a copy of Metro people it's one of the best uh, pieces of, of reading you'll do on the toilet um, Travis and I don't say that like, like that's where I do a lot of the reading of it it's a great read a highly highly great read Travis, sports and movies. I watch almost no sport. 
Um, the only time I've watched a grand final in my life was uh, when Jasper invited me around to watch it with the promise of, of hot dogs and beer, and it came to a draw. And I found <laughs> yeah. out that in AFL, like, yeah. you don't go on an extra time. They just play the entire fucking game again. So, like, what's the point of that? Like, that was insane. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how you do it. Um, I love a good sports movie. I just don't give a crap about actual live sports played by human beings. Mm. Um, unless it's jogging. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd, mm. let's, not forget that, let's, let's not forget that um, horse racing has continued this entire time. Yeah. Horse racing and greyhounds have continued. Because the, the good old Australian sport of gambling is still oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Can I say something about the Australian this? film industry then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say something about, uh, about Jasper's question there? Um, uh, so in Perth, uh, Channel 7 News has recently ditched uh, Today Tonight and uh, the 6 o'clock news now currently runs for one hour. And ev every night it just infuriates me uh, how little time commercial networks actually dedicate to the art. I mean, uh, to the arts. I mean, every night for the last two months, we've had Basil Zemplis talk for 15 minutes about when footy's going to return. We've got mm -hmm. the date. And when they actually talk, no, they don't have the date. Um, we could be using that time. I wish, I really wish, and I know it will never happen. It's a complete fantasy and a dream, but I wish more commercial networks would dedicate more time and focus on the arts. It would go such a long way. Could you imagine if Channel 7 in Perth, during their six o'clock time slot, dedicated 10 minutes, even five minutes, to uh, Australian culture and Australian arts and, and local art, like Western Australia, whether it's the opening of a new gallery or, or the celebration of a, of a painter or a filmmaker. And, and not just as a one-off sort of novelty piece, like, fuck, we've we, we got to fill some time here. No, but, like, a regular, regular piece. Yeah, and I yeah. think uh, you have like an arts anchor. That would be great. Mm, mm. Uh, sunrise, uh, uh, sunrise, and uh, the morning show and Studio Ten like that. Yeah, they dedicate some time to talking about Australian films. But I mean, most, uh, for example, say uh, Rams is coming up, and I know for a fact that if Studio Ten was to get Michael Caton into the studio and start talking about Rams, I guarantee you, thirty seconds of that time would be uh, dedicated to Rams, while the next six minutes would be dedicated to talking about the castle. Or the, the Sullivans, Sullivan. or something that Michael Caton yeah. did 20 years ago. Yeah. I guarantee it. 40 years and ago. It just, it, it, don't, it's... don't knock the skull Sullivans. It was. No, you know... no, I'm not knocking the skull. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about the Sullivans all day. But I mean, you know, in, in this, uh, the, yeah. I but isn't it, it interesting it, though that like some of the biggest Australian films last year, the biggest Australian film was Ride Like a Girl. And then two of the most hotly discussed films uh, and certainly watched on uh, ABC and I think it was SBS or wherever else it showed. Um, but the final quarter and the Australian dream, both of those were discussed quite a lot. And yeah. they are very highly sports focused. Do we need to shift the focus of Australian films to sports? Do we need a... Um, Another Dawn Fraser film, for example. I, she's the first name that came off my head, so I'm sorry about that. But yeah, do we need, <laughs> you know, do we need something like that to to get people interested again? But you well, also, got, you uh, also two, have that weird culture thing where you eat that tall poppy syndrome, which is very very odd here. Like um, Australian people do not like people doing well. I find it so odd. 
Um, and like all the genius filmmakers you've had out of here, you know, and Seesaw Productions, you know, all the amazing things that they've done. Um, it's just something that's never celebrated massively. You know, it's just, it's just bizarre. I just, I really, um, I, can, I, I still don't understand why that is. I, I understand the Australian character um, much more, you know, you know, it's an ongoing thing. But I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I have nailed it. <laughs> it is a sports film, but Australians hate tall poppies and they don't like seeing people succeed. Three right. words, people. <laughs> cousin's biopic. <laughs> it's like Chopper on the footy field. It'll be great. It'll go gangbusters. Uh, speaking Dominic to shoot it. It'll be fucking awesome. Like we'll file off the serial numbers so we don't have to pay cousins anything, but it'll be fine. <laughs> um, speaking of sports films, uh, this year alone we've got two due out. I think uh, we had Swimming for Gold, which was meant to have its uh, world premiere at Gold Coast. And um, we've also got another uh, swimming film, I just can't think of the name right now, which is produced by Blake Northfield. Andrew, could you know oh, what yeah, I'm yeah, talking I'll, about I'll here? Um, I'm blanking on the title. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, the title's escaping me as well, but I know what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, uh, the lane, something to do with the lane. Oh God, I, I, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to. I don't know. Um, so yes, yeah, so Australian sports films are being made, and I, I bet there's a lot of people out there who didn't see uh, Back of the Net last year, which was uh, an Australian soccer film. I mean, I do want to touch on something that you mentioned before, Sarah, as well. I find it very interesting that uh, you look at somebody like James Wan, for example, who directed Aquaman, and mm -hmm. that was, you know, that did over a billion dollars. And yet, where were the news articles and news pieces about mm -hmm. an Australian director directing a massive superhero film uh, yeah. that, that, you know, went over a billion dollars like there was no support for that uh, at all um but then on the same hand we still champion people like chris hemsworth a lot um because of the advertising dollars you know he mm. brings in all right we'll send him over to rotness everybody goes over to rotness and gets a, a selfie with a quokka kind of thing and that's i don't know it's a bit of a problem um mm. we're, we're less interested in um we're less interested in, in the filmmaker themselves and more interested in the celebrity, which is interesting because films aren't successful nowadays because of the celebrities. People don't go and see a Chris Hemsworth film anymore. Um, I, not that they did before, but I'm using him as a name. Like they're not going to see, uh, you know, otherwise Men in Black International would have been a massive success. Oh. And um, can I throw something else into the mix here? Now this is, this will be quite controversial. But I say this with um, learned experience and respect for my, you know, adopted home. Um, I, because um, it's not a particularly cultural landscape here, um, I find that um, a lot of, um, you know, like, it, you know, my old paper, The Herald and stuff like that, a lot of um, the... Uh, the, the, the arts content, um, people, I think people, it's kind of a bit of an us and them thing with like, you know, oh yeah, I'm into the arts, I'm into the arts. But people lose their critical faculties and they like things that they think they should like, you know, but not necessarily things that are actually any good. 
And so that loses the wider crowd then because there's some stuff that's awesome that's celebrated and then there's some stuff that's utter rubbish, you know, that people should just completely not bother with. And I'm talking about things like, you know, a lot of like the cultural festivals they have here, you have all these absurdist kind of like, oh, I'm going to stand in a room and point my finger at the ceiling, you know, about the, you know, humanity of men for 12 hours or something like that. You know, that kind of bollocks, which is no good, which is bollocks. It just means nothing to no one. But, you know, then you've got the other stuff that is brilliant and amazing. But I think, you know, you, I think the Australian readership kind of loses faith because for every kind of genius that you're told that you should be into, you've got some, you know, mad twit from... Austria coming over and playing a recorder at the at the MCA for six hours for Vivid. You know, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's hard. I think it's certainly but but it's a it's a case of um, you know, what does what art reaches where? Um, yeah. you know, every art, every single piece of art should have an audience for somebody. And I think it's it's the main thing of knowing who the audience is and, and knowing mm -hmm. where you fit in that audience as well is a hard thing to do. Um, it's a broader thing, which, you know, I think we've touched on a lot of that already. And uh, I think that we certainly talked about um, how to break into the, uh, the Australian audiences in a lot of ways. Um, Phil has, has put a comment about um, directors needed being more on camera. Do, like Taika Waititi, do they need to be more saleable? Um, do they need to or present Tarantino, themselves like, more? Or tourist well, star? That's an interesting, interesting. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so, mm, man. No, I, mean, it, I haven't it's interesting to hold eye contact with anyone, and I, I'll take one of his films any day of the week. Uh, it's interesting. What? Um, oh, sorry. Who was it who asked about? Uh, who mentioned that about Taika Waititi? Uh, it's Bill Jean Kane from the uh, from uh, Access Real. Access Real. Oh, great! Yeah, Fantastic. Really great. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I saw that and I found it interesting because uh, it got me thinking of Luke Sullivan, who uh, directed um, Reflections in the Dust recently, and he tried as hard as he could to um, uh, to get his name out there and uh, and to get attention uh, with it's this. Pretty you know, online. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I appreciate that kind of stuff. But uh, the Australian uh, media, for some reason, just didn't buy it. Um, uh, mm. It just didn't get the attention, which I think he was he was hoping for. Yeah, it's amazing. The mainstream media didn't react more favourably to the art house black and white film about a sad clown. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Seemed like a slam dunk. And like, where's, where's the castle money, man? Like, this could have been... Well, interesting with that. So, so when I started at the ABC last year, um, my first story that um, got massive page views, um, and literally, oh my god! I mean, we, you know, we have such a big viewing audience, all white geriatric. Sorry, and I'm just can I just clarify? I'm speaking for myself, not the ABC right now. It's my personal thing. But um, was the Nightingale viewing at the Sydney Film Festival and people walking out? And that story about people walking out, like everybody read it, everybody read it. Whereas if it was a standard piece about the Nightingale, no one would care. 
Um, but there is a but there is an audience for stuff, but it just needs to be, uh, you know. I don't uh, and I don't. I'm not, I'm not promoting scandal or a, you know, a sort of clickbaity news angle or whatever. But there is an audience there for for writing about the arts, but it just mm. has to be done the right way. And so much is so stayed, you know, like it is, it is. I, th I think with that, with um, the Nightingale piece as well, like I, I don't think the audiences were ever going to accept, like have a, a positive reception to that film at mm. all, regardless of people walking out or not. I don't think that that is possible at all. I, I do like the film. I do. I appreciate and respect it. However, uh, it's, it is not an audience pleasing film in the same way that something like Ride Like a Girl was. Um mm. Yeah, which is a whole, like, I, I think that is a really difficult um, discussion to get into, which I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure we have time to do that right now, which leads me into, I guess, we'll start to wrap up in a minute, because um, uh, Matt's dinner is getting cold, and he's fading. No, 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 he has to go out and kill people in the street. No, no, I've, I've, got, I've got plenty of stuff that I'd still like to discuss, actually, uh, quite a bit, and... Um, Sorry, Andrew, keep going. No, no, that, that was that was all, all I was just going to say is like leading into kind of final points and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think that One we should probably we start to... Is like in the previous year, Damon Harriman killed a lot of babies. <laughs> he did, yeah, he did. He uh, was at Judy and Punch and then um, the Nightingale. It was, a, it was a brutal time for sure. Yeah, two dead babies and two Charlie Mansons. What a year for Harriman. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, um, I, I, oh, sorry, Andrew, sorry. Uh, I just want to add in a point, David Vincent Smith was at the screening and um, of an audience of huge numbers, it was a small number of people that walked out. I found the sensationalism, sensationalism of that to be grossly inaccurate and clickbaity. I spoke with the producer the next day and she was quite upset by that. Yeah, it, it played into the publicity of the film quite well, actually, didn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, but well, I, I think with The Nightingale, at least, like if it wasn't then, it was going to be somewhere. Uh, I mean, the first half, half hour of that film is not easy to watch at mm. all. And, and can I just say, like, in my defence, like, that story never would have had a profile on the ABC if it wasn't for the fact that people had walked out. Um, and it was not grossly inaccurate. I will defend myself with that. <laughs> um, but, you know, but it did open this discussion about this film. Like, you know, in, you know, going full circle here, we were talking about sort of representation of women and all this kind of stuff. It's a film I don't want to watch. I, I actually don't want to see an accurate depiction of rape, um, which I believe the film succeeded in doing um it would be too confronting and um and i think good on the filmmaker for pushing those boundaries you know i should add david david's clarified he's not talking about the story more the facebook sharing should have clarified that's fine david no the problem no need to clarify <laughs> at all um i <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what what else did you want to say, Matt? I just have to duck away for a second, and I'll be back in a second. So I'll let Matt run the the show for a moment. Well, uh, one of the questions that I had here from uh, someone who submitted a question uh, before we got started was, uh, "What do you believe can be done to limit the damage done by COVID nineteen on the film industry?" And I know I'm hoping I just can't quite see at the moment that we still have. 
Um, Jason Jones here. Jason, are you still here? I, I just can't see whether he is. I think he is. We'll, we'll wait until Andrew gets back. And then I'd love to have you uh, come on just to talk a little bit about Bleedable for a moment because you were someone who was uh, currently uh, making a film or, or who was about to start making a film. And I'd love to hear from someone who was ready to start shooting uh, in the week that uh, the, you know, the entire industry was shut down. So uh, when Andrew comes back, hopefully we can get you on. Andrew, I was just uh, just saying that uh, Jason Jones is here, who was about to start filming uh, Bleederville before oh, yes, uh, the, yeah. the lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, so if Jason's still here, I'd love to get him on video and uh, just to chat about that. Yeah, just going to unmute you. Jason, you're there. G'day, how are we? Hey, uh, Jason, yeah. great to have you with us. Hey, Jason, uh, I sent you a, a message yesterday just to send me a few paragraphs about uh, your experience uh, with Bleederville and and uh, you know what happened once uh, the lockdowns were initiated. Uh, can you tell us a bit about like you know your I think uh, going by our guest list here, you're the only filmmaker with us at the moment who was ready to start shooting their movie. Can you tell us a bit about your experiences there and 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 what happened and how that affected you? Well, we'd planned on starting shooting kind of around now. We had our crowdfunding campaign uh, finish in late April and kind of the second half of that didn't go the way that we wanted to. People were really conservative about where they were putting their money and um, not really donating towards, um, you know, little independent horror films uh, and... Um, uh, so we really kind of didn't get what we wanted uh, from that. And we also planned on shooting kind of, you know, probably between about May and hopefully wrapping up by about October. And uh, so all of that has been pushed back until basically it, it's going to be safe to, to shoot again. Because we've got casts of maybe four or five people about per scene except for a couple of big ones plus crew and just the the idea of kind of social distancing while shooting has just been you know impossible so we're really kind of waiting until we've kind of got the okay to kind of start shooting again and uh and and kind of in a holding pattern until then uh, Jason, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, uh, but uh, something that you said to me yesterday was that um, uh, motivation uh, dwindled a little bit once uh, isolation kicked in and, and you couldn't get out there and, and shoot the film. Uh, how are you feeling about that now? Do, do, you, do you feel like you're ready to jump back into it? Uh, we are um, pretty enthusiastic about getting started shooting again, just in the recent kind of last week or so different kind of restrictions kind of being lifted and and starting to talk to each other again about shooting so um that's really kind of positive but yeah in it, when we first kind of went into the lockdown it was just like oh i'm gonna have so much uh time to be able to write and then <laughs> when the days kind of came to it it was just like well i could write or i could watch a movie and then another movie <laughs> and um and so all of those scripts, you know, kind of got put on the back burner. And, um, yeah, a, a, a lot of time has been spent not doing things creatively. Just Because uh, I, I think part of that is because we have no idea when we're going to be able to put any of those scripts and ideas into practice. 
So it's just sort of, again, gone into a kind of holding pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jason, I, I really hope that, uh, you know, once all these uh, restrictions are lifted, that you guys can jump straight back into it and, and, and get filming. I can't wait to see this thing. Yeah, same. Oh, it's going to be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to uh, uh, go on from uh, Jason uh, talking there, and I want to talk about uh, uh, a huge success story that's really come out of this whole thing. And Travis and uh, and uh, Andrew, I'm sure that you uh, maybe you know about this film, but it's uh, uh, Kane uh, Guagliami's Cooped Up. Has anyone mm. heard of this one? So Cooped Up was a, a an Australian film that came out in 2016, and believe it or not, it was about a guy who contracted coronavirus, and uh, the doctor tells him that he's got coronavirus and he has to self isolate for 21 days. I mean, can you believe that? Uh, anyway, so uh, uh, the Australian media got onto it. All of a sudden, he's being interviewed by Sunrise. He's being interviewed by the Morning Show and Studio Ten. Uh, Studio Ten picked, uh, sorry, Channel Ten picked up the film, so you can watch it at the moment on uh, on uh, Ten Play. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Americans got hold of it, and now it's available uh, on Crackle Plus, uh, and it's been picked up by Sony Pictures. So, what a success story that is! Yeah, I, I reviewed that or uh, I did something on that a couple of years ago at uh, Film Inc. Mm. Um, like, like that film's been like, like that sort of came and went and now it's come again, yeah? It's just amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of, it's strange how sometimes these prescient kind of stories just appear out of the past. Um, and it's great to see an Australian film getting international attention uh, for this mm. kind of thing. Um, luck of the draw. Hopefully it flows through to something else for him as well. Uh, in the future, uh, which is, uh, yeah, go for it. So, oh, something that I don't want to see come out of this stuff. Oh, who knows? It might be a positive, <laughs> but some, something that I, I'm, you know, I'm not, not looking forward to is: Are we going to get a, a huge influx of films that are about coronavirus yes, in Australia? We are. are we going to get a lot of films stuff. about isolation? Every script, every script being written about coronavirus right now is going to suck <laughs> so fucking hard. Mm-hmm. All right, because I've heard I, I don't need to see that interpolated through the screen when I'm experiencing it on my social media every day because everyone's experiencing the same thing, and it's not the same as having like a universe, like it's a universal experience, but it's you. But, but wait I'm... two years, people, wait <laughs> two fucking years, and then be able to actually put your experience into some kind of emotional, social, political, and historical context. Okay, <laughs> Jasper has a question. Um, but on the same hand, before sorry, Jasper, before we get to you, um, on the same hand, I do want to add, there are some filmmakers like Imogen McCluskey who is making, like she made a short film essentially uh, in isolation, directing two people via iPhone and getting to, them to record. I quite liked it. I thought it was an interesting idea and leads into the um, interesting notion of Quibi as well. I don't know if any of you guys have used it or not. Um, no. It's, uh, if you are interested, it's, I'm not saying this is trying to sell you on it. Uh, there's nothing that is really stellar on it. But uh, if you are interested, there is a 90, uh, 90 day trial for it. Um, so you can at least give it a shot for 90 days before. 90, you that's incredible. They're, they're expecting this to be locked up for a while, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I think the problem is as well, is that, um, the main issue with using something like that, and it's an interesting service and the shorts on there, they're quite good. Thank you very much for joining us, David. It's been great as well. Um, 
Yeah, actually, David, we're definitely thinking about that, uh, getting some filmmaker guests in maybe next week. We haven't thought about when we're doing a next episode, but I think we will be doing one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we've had a great discussion here. Thank you again. Um, and certainly, uh, if you guys have got any suggestions or anything like that, you know how to reach us on social media um, to let us know who you would like uh, us to talk to or maybe um, try and reach out to or... Uh, obviously further questions as well. Uh, Jasper, what, would, what were you going to ask? I, I was just going to make a quick aside. The moment is almost past against... Um, Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Um, about Travis saying everyone should wait a couple of years before documenting their experiences in a, in a, in a fictionalised form. But, you know, you've got to say quite a few very excellent Blitz era films and World War II era films were actually made deep in the whole bloody thing. So, I will not hear a word against David Niven. <laughs> I'm just saying as a general cowards why we fight. Basically, if, you, if your movie is about like being relentlessly horny and uh, stuck at home and developing <laughs> a fucking weird friendship with your Uber Eats guy, like we can live, <laughs> don't need to see it. <laughs> Um, no, I think there's something in that script. <laughs> I actually think that was an ad I saw recently as well. <laughs> I must say, through the advertising and stuff like that, it has been fairly cringeworthy, but they have been very, very quick to um, monopolise on this whole COVID-19 situation. There has been a, a wealth of ads that I've seen. I don't watch commercial TV all that much, but I have seen a fair few ads that have certainly lent into that whole... Um, the current situation that we're in, you know, there was Capitalism a, never sleeps, man. Capitalism never sleeps. It never so like sleeps. I, I've had emails, and everyone's had this, like emails from companies I ordered a pair of socks from fucking five years ago telling me that we're all in this together, man. Like, okay. <laughs> they haven't forgotten you, Travis. They haven't forgotten yeah. you. Um, <laughs> but I think, like, there was, a, there was a Toyota ad that was talking about, you know, while we're all inside at the moment, you can dream about going out into the big wide world and driving yeah. and fucking <laughs> everything up. And it's yeah. like, settle down to Well, I imagine that quite a few uh, production companies who produce uh, Australian TV commercials are, are worrying a bit at the moment. I saw a yeah. TV commercial on uh, Channel 7 last night uh, for Niche Living. And basically, it was the guy who does the Niche Living ads holding his phone to his face, talking to the camera. Um, and, and, and it's an effective ad and it actually works. And my partner and I had a discussion about how effective that ad actually is. Um, so there will be a lot of production companies out there right now who are quite terrified about, you know, what the future holds. I've also noticed a lot of uh, Instagram advertising at the moment when you're scrolling through your story mm. and the Instagram ad comes up. A lot of them are people who work for the company just in their house doing their everyday thing to make you think that you've stumbled across one of your friend's stories. But in fact, yeah. it's, a, it's a company who's doing it. So, it's yeah, I imagine anyway, there's some, some terrified. Yeah, yeah. I did and have one, one that I saw was a woman it's, on the it's toilet. It's not really um, pandemic-related advertising, but I had a great bit of, of, of company interaction recently, um, completely out of the blue, completely like not expected. It was really, 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 really cool. Um, I ordered a pair of boots recently. I got myself a pair of Red Wings because I need a good pair of boots to last me like 20 years. Um, and I ordered them online and I had no idea what the company was. And then the boots arrived and I opened it and in the box, there was like a bottle of like oil for the boots and a pair of thick woolen socks and a handwritten note from an old friend of mine from Perth called Chris Perucci 
because it's his fucking store. And he's like, hey, I don't know if you realize, but this is my store. And uh, <laughs> I would, I would have mm -hmm. given you mates rates, but uh, instead, here's some free stuff anyway. And here's my email. And we should catch up next time because he's in Melbourne. We should catch up next time. We're both in the same place at the same time. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's the best thing ever. And they're the greatest boots I've ever owned. So uh, <laughs> there was a nice bit of like, I got a handwritten letter from a dude I hadn't seen in years because I ordered some boots from a website I didn't recognize. Perfect. That sounds like a wonderful short story that can be made into a short film. Uh, with <laughs> in, yours. Isolation. in isolation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Andrew, I want to go back to something that you were talking about before about Imogen McCluskey's uh, short film. Uh, yesterday, Alex Broyer saw, uh, also released a short film that he shot entirely in isolation. So everyone involved in the film, <laughs> Jasper? Is Travis going to be reviewing it? <laughs> I, I wonder if Travis has seen it. I like Alex Proyas's films more than people would expect. And I gave Gods of Egypt a pass. It got me thinking, though, are we going to see a, a, an increase in uh, special effects films in Australia? Creed Stenders also posted something yesterday about Jamie uh, Hinton testing some new special effects uh, technology yeah. in Western Australia. Well, the technology that they use for the Mandalorian is essentially what he is, he's creating, where mm. it's, it's no different than what they used to do in, you know, for King Kong, where mm. they did the stop motion off the, the animals fighting and then they projected that on the screen and then had, you know, everybody in front of it that kind of thing so that's that's what's happening now they're just remodeling old ideas for new stuff and i hope that mm. that happens more um because certainly it'll help make things a little bit more um look better in in that's great english isn't it but it'll look better <laughs> like things a little bit more look better yeah 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 does so, anyone know why uh, jamie was testing that in western australia what, what was going I on i think there? they're setting one up here fantastic mm. Amazing. Good, That's good. great. Yeah. But we've been like I did a piece on Sin City recently because it's like 15 years old now, and Rodriguez was using similar technology or at least techniques at, the, at that time. So you know the the fight between um, Elijah Wood, you know Frodo and Mickey Rourke, uh, neither of them were on set at the same time, and they just spliced them together. You know, like 99% of that film is green screen and just mm. essential props and 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 set dressing for what people needed to interact with uh so i guess yeah we could probably expect um productions which are able to adopt these kind of let's face it fairly expensive technological measures being able to kind of pivot during the pandemic and and the the emerging post-corona world um yeah that wouldn't surprise me which means really that you know smaller more interesting indie films are going to take it in the fucking neck because we're more likely to get another star war than we are to get some kind of you know parlor character drama well i was just going to I'm, i mean i'd have to look it up but um i don't i mean sky captain and the world of tomorrow was effectively all oh, yeah. done in 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 that sort of way but it, it was probably not a high high budget film no the dude who did that like started off in his garage and then mm. it kind of like developed and got money behind it and then suddenly jude law and angelina jolie are in there and and then it comes out and then it crashes and burns and that was just the year before sin city yeah um but Sin City kind of proved that that kind of like what we take for granted now, which is that, you know, like 90% of what's going on in, in like a 
a tentpole blockbuster is fucking CGI, you know, Cap picking up the hammer in the shield in Endgame. It's like, you know that that's just Chris Evans on a fucking stage in front of a green screen. Nothing in that is real. Uh, but, you know, back in 2005, it was a whole different thing. Mm. Yeah, Boy. I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be enough budgetary um, ability for that. And I also don't know that given the... Um, given how good independent films can look and how good small um, budget films can look. I don't know if audiences are going to be accepting or understanding of lesser quality effects driven films that have a great narrative or have great direction or have great acting, you know. Good night, Brian. Yes, good night, thank you. Um, Am I the only one who thinks that special effects have gotten worse as the years have gone on? Uh, well, I rewatched the opening for Endgame last night because I was curious um, just to see, uh, just to relive that decapitation moment in a kid's film. Um, and um, it's just, it's fascinating how little of that is real and yeah. tangible. It has no weight. It has no weight. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is that, yes, the the the, the visual effects have gotten they they look stunning. You know, you look at War for the Planet of the Apes, which you genuinely think that there are apes riding on horses next to a beach. Like that's that's a stunning visual that is really, really powerful and overwhelming. Um, but that film recognizes the weight of physics and recognizes how physics works. Whereas, you know, your Avengers films, they're made so quickly. And I think of like I think of Black Panther and and the the um the battle rhinos in that. And there's one shot where one of them just tumbles over something else. And any other movie, there would be a huge like thump. And, mm. you know, that's a, that's a massive 500, 600 kilo animal just thumping on the ground. And it's dealt with like a fucking tumbleweed. Um, that's, that's my problem is, and then it, it makes it look bad. It makes it look cheap and it makes it look ineffective uh, and boring. Because there's no weight, there's no uh, there's no threat, um, there's no tangibility to it. You know that's not there. You know it doesn't mm. exist. So why should I care? I mean, yeah, obviously that Jasper. I, yeah. I was just going to um, put in a throw in an interesting question here. If um, you know, just to bring it back to the Australian film industry side of things, you know, for a for a much more CGI green screen approach to be adopted in the Australian film industry as a whole. Are we at a disadvantage because, you know, we've got a related industry, the games industry, which in Australia is not as flash and, and well-developed as others. So a lot of games now, of course, have huge um, emphasis placed on physics and, and you know, that, mm. that, that realism element. But we may not even have the... I mean, I don't know to what extent the, um, the technical ability exists in a you know at an adjunct you know tangential industry that could be drawn upon in a in a in a smaller australian industry in order to get those sorts of productions off the ground well we've got animal logic just fucking sitting there and those guys are world class like animal logic are like just industry leaders in terms of cgi um and i'll turn up for anything they make including the upcoming peter rabbit sequel which under normal circumstances i wouldn't give half a crap about but i'll show up for animal logic uh, but they did um you know the lego movies uh, mm. lego batman all that jazz um 
So I, I don't think that's the issue that you might think it is. Yeah, uh, because like, like we, 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 we literally have a world-class computer animation house sitting in Sydney and they mm. are like all killer, no killer. But on, on the same like hand as well. Is a bit crap, but you know, yeah. it looks great. On the same hand as well, you have a filmmaker like Robbie Studzer who, you know, with Burning Kiss, that is a visually expressive film and visually exciting. And there is one shot in there, which I think is probably, you know, it's going to be a shot if people even pay attention to it, which they should do. There is a shot in that film, which I think is really um, sticks in your mind quite a bit, which is a shot of a, a great white shark in the back of a, like a uh, suburban pool. And it's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. Yeah, of the film. it's in the trailer. Fantastic. And it's like, it looks like a great white shark in a suburban <laughs> pool. <laughs> It's like my 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 immediate thought was how the fuck did they get a shark in that pool? Same, same. You know, I had no idea, and it just it just looks that great. But he spent the time and dedication in getting that done and making it look next level and brilliant. Um, mm. Which unfortunately, uh, given everybody expects something to be done super quick, you know, yeah. we expect a film to be in the can and done like you wouldn't believe you know like that final line of i am iron man from endgame was like filmed you know a week or so before that particular film was um completed and sent out um mm. and so people expect everything to be done on the fly and mm. unfortunately australian filmmaking is just not at that level it, it's yeah we're not actually done we don't have the resources to we be don't. That kind of yeah. off the cuff and off the fly Man, I wish uh, I wish we had uh, McCann and, and Pierce in the mix here. Like they'd have some interesting things to talk about in terms of uh, low budget genre and special effects filmmaking. Uh, yeah. We should get them on in a week or two. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, um, this has been a really good discussion. Yeah. I've quite liked it a bit. I'm happy to continue going, um, but we've got a small audience than we did before. Um, yeah. But I, I think that. Um, I think that's been great. Um, I do, I guess there was a couple of quick fire questions that Robbie did send through to us, um, which we can go through quickly. Um, just selecting a director and giving a short reason why. I'll start off with you, Matt. He said, James Gunn or John, Joe Dante? Oh, oh, son of a bitch. Sorry, what, what's the question? This is do just a like quick fire question, question where you have Joe to pick Dante. between two directors, James Gunn or Joe Dante. Oh boy. You're really leaning into the quick fire aspect of it, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one though. It's, um, it's Dante for the Howling, the Burbs, Gremlins, and uh, and Second Civil War, which if you can track it down is fucking amazing. Second Civil War, make a note of that. I know, but I'm 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 leaning more towards Gunn here because I think he's got some exciting things coming up going forward. But anyway, that's where I'll leave that. Right. <laughs> All right, Travis, I think we already know the answer to this one, but nonetheless, got to throw it in the pan anyway. Paul Verhoeven or John Carpenter? <laughs> That's some Sophie's Choice shit. Yeah, it's cut. Look at this shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I fucking adore Verhoeven, and even more so since we've all begun living in one of his films. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, man, like, you, you got to dance with the one who brung you to the party, okay? And it's it's Carpenter every day. Like, yeah. I, and 
honestly, and there are filmmakers I think are better filmmakers out there, but if there was only one director I could watch for the rest of my life, it's Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, and the question for me was David Fincher or Paul Thomas Anderson, um, which should be hard, but it's fairly easy. It, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I go down on him any day of the week. He's a fantastic director. Um, <laughs> oh, that was a good reaction from you right there. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he directed my favorite film, um, which is a little bit pretentious now, but it's, I still like it a lot. Uh, of course, it's still my favorite film um, 20 years on. Uh, oh, Magnolia. Yeah. 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 You look like a Magnolia guy. I do actually, yeah, very much so. But then he continues making great movies, you know, mm -hmm. Phantom Thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, one of the, he's one of the best. Like, like history will remember him as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there will uh, be bloaters also. If you ever get a chance, have a listen to uh, to uh, actually, Travis, you might have suggested this, but uh, Paul Thomas Anderson interviewing Tarantino about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've right. got to listen to it. Yeah, I think it's on the DJ podcast. Got, uh, yeah. uh, here, Fiona Apple talking about you know the best way to kick cocaine is to be stuck in Quentin Tarantino's home cinema with him and Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> doing yeah. lines and uh, and fucking relentlessly rabbiting on about films and it's like that's what got her clean. It's like that's fucking funny as shit. I, I want to talk about audience responsibility here and right now there seems to be so much pressure on industry professionals and uh, people in the Australian film industry uh, to successfully recover from this. But I think that audiences also need to take some responsibility here. And if you're not going to go out there and watch Australian films and help these people succeed, then, you know, that, that, that's up to you. So please get out there and see some Australian movies. And uh, as we were talking about with Jason before, there's, it's not just Screen Australia films that you should be out there watching, it's all of the other ones. And uh, a shameless plug here, but if you want to find out about all the other ones, go to Cinema Australia and, uh, and you'll find out. And that, that's, I'm not being shameless, I'm being quite serious, you know, because He's we not do wrong. cover all of those films. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. There is a reason why I visit your website regularly, because it's the place that I go to find out what's going on and, and um, to write reviews and stuff like that and be like that looks interesting i want to talk to that person so yeah let's make this a plug Good. thing then so yeah no. <laughs> Go for it. Let, let's wrap it up with a plug guys yeah so the curb.com.au you can find my stuff there travis has got some writing on there as well um but yeah you can find stuff over there i i wrote uh, a fantastic piece about the predator the movie predator the other day um it's a movie i really love that piece man <laughs> that was great that put such a smile on my doll you are still on the fucking money there, i thought i thought you would like that <laughs> oh that was wonderful yeah uh so that's where you can find my stuff trav where can people find you well sailorandwhiskey.com is currently being rejigged so don't look there and also, I haven't updated it for fucking months because I've been busy, but I write everywhere. Um, so you can find my stuff on SBS, uh, occasionally at The Guardian, a lot of stuff on flicks.com.au, stuff on Mr. Movies. Um, I'm all over the shop, man. Oh, and every second Friday with Christina New on ABC Radio National from 8 p.m. AEST. I generally review four movies and TV series every fortnight. So yeah, that's good. Fantastic. And for those that are still around, um, thank you very much for joining us. And thanks, Jasper, as well, for the great questions. Uh, it's been and you can find Jasper at, well, yeah. not even the Flying Scotsman anymore. It's fucking heartbreaking. <laughs>
No, no. But I do thank you again for providing the curve. But you've given me a platform to um, to have a couple of my pieces published, which is most uh, gratifying. Because otherwise, with celluloid and whiskey being revamped. <laughs> they wouldn't have been anywhere. Well, Andrew I greatly appreciate it too. I, 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 I put it on a, a WordPress uh, framework and uh, I've jigged a few things and it's going to be sort of the, the, the nexus of my, my writing. So it's mainly going to be links to stuff that's published elsewhere because I need the money. Um, <laughs> but also hopefully I'll get some more content up there as well. Maybe even yeah. some whiskey reviews. That'd be good. Mm. If, I can get, if I can get my booze tax deductible, I'm fine. <laughs> Oh dear. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Um, we will do this again and stick this up yeah. in um, places and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I'm going to chuck it up on uh, the Cinema Australia YouTube channel too, if I can get a hold of this video. So if you want to rewatch it or hear it again. <laughs> yep, definitely. Good. Cool. All right. Thank you. Guys. I'm going to hit the end button now. Thank Bye. you. See ya. Bye. So, hey, that is the long discussion that myself uh, from The Curb, Matthew Eels from cinemaaustralia.com.au, Travis Johnson from celluloidandwhiskey.com, as well as theflix.com.au and SBS and a whole bunch of other places, had talking about Australian film diversity and a whole bunch of other discussion points there. Hopefully you got something from these uh, this Q&A that we had. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it a lot uh, and found it very, very fascinating and interesting and certainly learnt a lot from uh, my peers. And, and also the people who engage with our writing as well. It was fantastic. And thank you everybody who did tune in on the live Q&A. It was really useful. Uh, we will hopefully have one of these again soon in the future and we will let you know. And the best way to know about when this is on is head over to facebook.com forward slash thecurbau as well as Twitter, thecurbau on there. Or head over to the website, thecurb.com.au. Uh, and if you want to go the extra step, you can always get in touch with uh, me at contact at thecurb.com.au. And alternatively, if you want to go the extra further step, head over to patreon.com forward slash thecurbau where you get some bonus things and stuff like that for as small as a dollar a month. Anyhow, I hope that you're all staying safe and well and looking after each other. And I will see you on the next episode. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Something grand is coming to Nemecolon. Opening fall 2023, the Grand Lodge will surprise and delight with 56 stunning suites and five-star butler services. Indulge in libations at the Circle Bar and the Study before you savor the new and enchanting Fawn and Fable restaurant, where the best parts of a traditional steakhouse and a fairy tale castle create a magical dining experience. With fine dining, a spa, and over 100 adventure, golf, art, and wildlife experiences, whatever your imagination holds, Nemecolon has the key. Visit nemecolon.com for more information.